Have you ever had an experience where someone has tried to encourage you, say something to you that will lift you up and it actually has the opposite effect? Remember there was a time when I was with, uh, in a former ministry, I was with a, a teen who had been in my youth group and uh, he had a habit of just falling asleep whenever I was preaching. And uh, he, he, we were eating a chicken sandwich together and, and he said, you know what, Pastor Jonathan, he said, it's, it's really not your preaching. He was trying to encourage me. He said, it's just when you get up to preach, I suddenly feel really sleepy. <laughs> I know he was trying to encourage me, but actually to have the opposite effect. I wonder if you've had that experience before when someone's trying to say something and encourage you and it actually ends up not encouraging you. It points to the fact that we need encouragement. Encouragement is, is very important uh, to us. We understand how crippling discouragement can be. Feels like a sail without wind to fill it up. It feels like a, a tank without gas in it. it. It's just unmotivating, debilitating, crippling. And we see the theme of encouragement here in our passage when Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 2 of Colossians that their hearts may be encouraged. This, uh, this word encourage here contains two concepts, two ideas. There's the idea of strength and there's the idea of comfort. Strength and comfort together. Not just strength by itself and not just comfort by itself, but strength and comfort together. Like a warm meal on a cold day. It comforts you, but it also strengthens you. Like a friend's hand leaning down and helping you up after you've fallen, it, it comforts and it strengthens. Comfort without strength still leaves us powerless. And strength without comfort can leave us unmotivated. But put strength and comfort together and we have the motivation and the ability to move forward. That's what Paul is praying for the Colossians, that their hearts might be encouraged. And although I think we know how miserable it feels to be discouraged and we have the sense of a need that we feel encouraged, I think what we tend to do is actually underestimate the value of encouragement. I think we could tend to see encouragement as kind of a luxury item. Something that is nice to have but not absolutely necessary. It's kind of like, okay, so you don't have the wind in your sails. Well, get out the oars and start paddling. Or sure, there's not fuel in your tank. So get behind the car and push. I mean, we think, well, yeah, yeah, it's something that we, it's really helpful, but not absolutely necessary. But this is not at all the way that the Apostle Paul viewed encouragement. Because you notice his attitude toward encouragement is one of absolute intensity because of the necessity of encouragement. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He tells the Colossians, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And, and he wants encouragement for them, but not only for them, but also for those in a neighboring city, the city of Laodicea, and not even for, just for them, but for others who he had never personally met. He said, encouragement is so important to Paul that he wants it not just for himself, and he wants it not just for his friends, but for people he hasn't even met. He just knows they're believers in Christ. He just has heard of them. He's never met them. And he says, I am agonizing for you. Obviously, Paul could not have been agonizing in preaching or teaching or discipling because he was at a distance from them. He was in prison. He says near the end of the book of Colossians, remember my chains. Paul is literally in chains as he writes this letter. 
What sort of agony is he experiencing for them? It's an agony of prayer. It's an agony of anxiety for them, of, of hope and wishing that they will be encouraged. You see, for Paul, encouragement is not a luxury item. It's not a nice but not necessary item. Encouragement is absolutely essential for thriving as a Christian. It's essential because it is an integral component of spiritual maturity. If you think about the context of this verse right here, it comes right off the heels of Paul saying, We proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. To what end? That we may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to explain this great effort that he's in, in prayer for people he's never met that they might be encouraged. So encouragement is an essential component of Christian maturity. We need encouragement. And often we find ourselves discouraged. And that is what Paul is addressing here in this passage. This whole idea of the need for encouragement. And so the question is not, is encouragement important? It is. The question is not, is encouragement necessary? It is. The question is, where do we find it? Where do we get this encouragement? Because you may find yourself discouraged this morning. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that of all the things that are going on in your life right now, you could think of at least one thing that will just take the wind right out of your sails. That leaves you feeling unmotivated and down. We often find ourselves discouraged. And when we do, we tend, we as human beings tend to do one of three things, or maybe a combination of these, to find encouragement. Sometimes we look to find encouragement in other people. In, in a word of compliment, or affirmation, or affection. Sometimes we look for encouragement in an idea. Something that's inspirational, motivational. That these, these motivational memes or these inspirational quotes with a picture of somebody standing in a dangerous position on a cliff with their arms raised like this. And you're like, that guy's going to fall off, right? But there's some motivational quote there at the bottom, right? We, we may look for encouragement in an idea. Or we may look for encouragement within ourselves. But what Paul is saying in this passage is that encouragement is not just found in another person, not just within ourselves, not even just an idea, but it is in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. That's Paul's point. You see the flow here of this passage. He is saying, I have labor labored for them. I'm struggling for you that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing because he knows that the true source of encouragement is not just in other people's affirmation and, and compliments of us, because that may change. The true source of encouragement is not in some idea, because ideas don't always motivate. And certainly, we cannot find within ourselves the source of encouragement, because sometimes we feel empty. The true source of encouragement is in Jesus Christ. And so the channel through which that encouragement flows is our knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we have all these words having to do with knowledge and understanding. To reach full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
So this passage, the main idea here is, here is the central idea, is that true encouragement comes from a knowledge of Christ. True encouragement comes from a knowledge of Christ. And this passage expands on that knowledge in three ways. And here's, they form the, the main divisions of my sermon so you know where we're going here. True encouragement comes from a knowledge of Christ. And this is a knowledge that is unified, full, and firm. Okay, these, these three aspects of the, of the encouragement producing knowledge of Christ... Here they are. It is, it is a knowledge that is unified, that is full, and that is firm. All right, we see first of all that encouragement comes from a knowledge of Christ that is unified in verse 2. You see the words of unity, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Now, now this means, and I think this might be a surprise us, this means that the encouragement producing knowledge of Christ, to have the sort of knowledge that produces true encouragement, not flimsy, not fake, not failing encouragement, the, the, the kind of knowledge that produces true encouragement is a knowledge that comes as we are unified with each other. Now here's why I say this might be surprising. is because I think that we tend to think about gaining a knowledge of Christ individually, on our own. Sitting at a table in the early morning with my coffee in front of me and, and steam curling up out of that coffee and my Bible open in front of me and maybe a devotional book here. It's just, it's just me and my Bible and I'm, and I'm getting to know Christ better that way. It, it just, just the solitary, isolated time. And, and while that is essential, that is very important, the kind of, of knowledge, the growth of a knowledge of who Jesus is that produces this kind of encouragement takes unity with other people. It means knowing Jesus, not just me and Jesus, but it's we, it's us together. This is an us thing. This is something that we gain together. That's exactly what Paul is saying, that their hearts may be encouraged. How? Look at the next words. Being knit together in love. There is a kind of encouragement in the knowledge of Christ that you cannot have apart from the unity to be enjoyed with other believers. I think that pushes back against our American individualistic kind of identity. Like it's just me and my knowledge of God. Oh, what does it say here? It says that this knowledge grows together. It requires unity. There are things that I need to know about Jesus that I won't know if my heart is not knit together with your heart. There are things that you need to know about Jesus that you cannot know until your heart is knit together with the heart of somebody across this room. There are things that you need to be growing in in your knowledge of Jesus to produce the kind of encouragement that God wants for you and you cannot have that unless you are unified. I want to try to expand this for us so you can see how this works practically. And, and I'll give you three instances of this. I, I hope this will be helpful and, and you can probably think of others. But knowing Jesus with others, here's one way that this can help us reach a fuller understanding of Jesus. Knowing Jesus with others shows us how far Jesus can reach. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by this. Personally, I find it amazing that Jesus saved me. I was 
probably about five years old when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I don't remember exactly. Memory is, is a little, little weak way back then, but it was some point when I was preschool that I trusted in Christ as my Savior. And I find that to be amazing. I'm still amazed by God's grace. But I also find it amazing to hear your testimonies about how Jesus saved you. Maybe it's one thing to sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's another thing to say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. Now, I don't recommend that we change the, the wording of that hymn and be, and be singing that to each other. But it is amazing, isn't it? That God brings together all of our diverse stories and journeys and all the kinds of things that we encounter as individuals. And when I see what it took for Jesus to reach you, I'm amazed at how great Jesus is. You see what's happening? My knowledge, this encouraging, encouragement-producing knowledge is expanded by it being knit together in love with other people. Here's another way in which I think that, that we can understand Jesus together in such a way that produces encouragement. I think we understand more about how much Jesus cares as we are knit together in love. When my wife Krista was pregnant with our youngest daughter, her water broke at 20 weeks and she started showing signs of labor. And the doctors advised us at that time to expedite the delivery knowing that that would end the pregnancy, that the baby wouldn't live. Now this was a very a very traumatic time for us as a family. And so Krista went on bed rest on the counsel of a Christian doctor. And the church that we were a part of at the time showed such an outpouring of love and support. I mean, up until that point, I, I knew that God loved us and cared for us. But our church at that time became the hands and feet of Jesus. See, there's some things about Jesus that you cannot know until you experience the unity of our hearts being knit together in love to reach full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Christ. So we understand how far Jesus can reach, how much Jesus cares. As we're unified with one another, we also begin to understand how much Jesus forgives. You see, Christian unity doesn't mean that everyone just gets along with each other. Christian unity also means that we have to deal, deal with each other's problems when we hurt each other. That's why in the, in the letter that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote another letter, very similar to the, book of, to the letter to the Colossians. It's the letter to the Ephesians. And he talks about forgiveness. Why would Paul have to write to Christians about forgiveness among each other? Because sometimes... Maybe oftentimes, we hurt each other. And yet, how can we forgive each other? As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You see, my understanding of who Jesus is, is enlarged, and thus I'm encouraged, as I see other people reconciling with each other. And that is an encouragement-producing knowledge of Christ. Here's another way in which our understanding of Jesus is expanded and thus gives encouragement. It shows us how much I need to grow. It shows you how much you need to grow. 
I mean, it's one thing for me to walk uh, in my Christian life and experience by myself. It's another thing when I see someone walking through a trial with a smile, not because they're just optimistic, but because they're trusting Jesus through that trial. And that challenges my faith. That encourages me. I see how much Jesus is helping that person through their cancer, through their loss of a loved one. And it challenges my faith. You see how our knowledge of Jesus that produces encouragement is incomplete unless we are unified. That's why Paul writes that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. The kind of knowledge of Christ that produces true encouragement is a knowledge that is unified. Maybe a way of illustrating that point would be this. Suppose you're a musician and you want to know how great of a composer Beethoven was. And so you purchase his, the, the score of his ninth symphony. And you get your timpani out and you learn the timpani part. And you just wail away at that drum in your basement. There's only a little bit about the genius of Beethoven that you're going to understand if all you play is the timpani part of Beethoven's ninth. But tune that instrument to other instruments and set before an entire symphonic orchestra the score of Beethoven's ninth symphony and you'll hear in harmony the explosive grandeur and the genius of that composer in a way that you could not experience on your own. And so it is with the church. So it is with the greatness of Jesus. There are certain things about the greatness and the genius and the glory of Jesus we cannot understand until we come together and are unified. This is the encouragement producing knowledge of Christ. It requires unity. Encouragement comes not only from a knowledge of Christ that is unified, but also from a knowledge of Christ that is full. And we see this in the latter part of verse 2. So Paul has written that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I use the word full not only because we see it here in verse 2, but also I think it best encapsulates, maybe is able to, helps us put our arms around all these nouns that Paul is stacking up for this effect to, to make us realize the grandeur of what he's communicating about the greatness of Jesus. This knowledge of Jesus that must be full in order for us to reach this kind of encouragement. And there are three ways in which this knowledge should be full. First, full of certainty full of certainty. You see, he writes in near the middle of verse 2, to reach all the riches of full assurance. This, this word translated assurance has, to die, has the idea of being certain, of not wavering, of not being moved from our conviction that this is true. See, encouragement is not going to come if you're not certain that the truths of the Word of God are actually truths. We live in a, a pluralistic society in which there are many competing narratives about what's real. And sometimes we can come to the conclusion that maybe the best way to survive in such an environment is to shrink down our convictions into mere opinions. 
Well, I can't say for sure, but my perspective on it is because wouldn't it sound arrogant to say that I actually am convinced of this or that this is certain? But my friends, there are things in the scripture that we can be certain of. This is not a matter of conjecture. This is not a matter of, well, from my perspective, it looks like this. This is a certainty. Who Jesus is and what he did, this is, a, this is something of which we can have full assurance. And an encouragement of this sort only comes from this sort of certainty. It's full of certainty. This encouragement producing knowledge of Christ is full, should be full of certainty, but second, also full of understanding, full of understanding. You see, Paul writes to reach all the riches of full assurance, full certainty of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Now, this does not mean necessarily that you, it doesn't mean at all that you have to know everything there is to know about God in Christ. We're finite. Our minds are limited. But it does mean that we can have everything we need to know in order to thrive as followers of Jesus on this earth. Kind of like a a young child learning the alphabet. He's learned all the letters from A to Z. There are no other letters he needs to learn. He's got them all. He's not missing an M or a U or a D somewhere. That smells, that spells mud just coincidentally. He's not missing any letters, right? There's not one more he needs. So he may not be able to explore all the facets of, of literature in the English language, but yet he has everything he needs in terms of the alphabet. So our understanding of, of Christ should be full in this sense, that we know who he is, we know what he's done. And that understanding can grow. So you full of certainty, full of understanding, also full of wisdom. We see this in verse 3 when Paul says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this means that wise living in this world requires knowing Jesus. Wise living in this world requires knowing Jesus. And we don't have time to develop this point, but there is this theme throughout the New Testament that true wisdom is found in Christ. What does that even mean? It means that Jesus shows what us what true reality is. Wise living is living in light of reality, not fantasy. Wise living is living in light of things that really matter. And Jesus shows us what really matters. Jesus shows us that there, by his resurrection from the dead that there is a world beyond this one. And living for that world is what really matters. Wise living from a temporary perspective may look like just getting as much wealth as you possibly can. That might be wise living if this world is all there is to it. But Jesus' life shows us so much more. He shows us that there is a heaven and a hell. That there is a God and that wise living is living like Jesus, for Jesus, in the power of Jesus. That's why he's living. That's why Paul says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why he says in another letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, he says that Christ became our wisdom for those who follow Jesus, for those who have believed in Jesus. Living like Jesus is wise living. And Christ allows us to live like that. So this knowledge that produces encouragement is a knowledge that is full 
It's full of certainty, full of understanding, and full of wisdom. Now, I, I think I've mentioned this story before, but I, I think this helps illuminate this idea of certainty, of the knowledge of the things of God. It's taken from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the story where some children and a char- their guide, a character named Puddleglum, have descended into this underworld. And they meet this wicked queen who rules the underworld and she has them in captivity and she's trying to get them to doubt that there is such a thing as a world above that they had just come from. And she's strumming on a musical instrument and she's saying, it's all a dream. It's all a dream. Don't believe it. It was just your imagination. And good old Puddle Glum, normally a gloomy pessimist, he rouses himself And he says, you can play that fiddle till your fingers drop off and still you won't make me forget Narnia and the whole overworld too. I know I was there once. I've seen the sky full of stars. I've seen the the sun coming up out of the sea in a morning and sinking behind the mountain at night. And I've seen it in the midday sky when I couldn't look at it for brightness. And with these words, the other children were roused from their doubtful slumber too. My friends, don't forget what you have experienced Don't forget your knowledge of Christ. Don't forget the certainty. Don't forget the fullness of assurance that you have. Encouragement comes from a knowledge of Christ that is full. And then third, we see this in verses 4 through 5. Encouragement comes from a knowledge of Christ that is firm. It's firm. Remember earlier I said that encouragement is not just a, an accessory. It's not just an extra. It's not a nice but not necessary. Encouragement is essential. And I, I told you earlier that encouragement is essential because it's a part of Christian maturity. But there's another reason why encouragement is so important. And that is because without encouragement, we are so weak and vulnerable. Just like someone who is not eaten for days or very fatigued, not slept for days, is very susceptible to be sick. Without encouragement, we're very likely to be shifted into another way of thinking, to be derailed in our journey of faith. We, we are going to go where we think we find encouragement. We must seek our encouragement and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, encouragement in Christ is not just the garnish. It's the meat and potatoes. We need it. It's essential. Where do we find it? We find it in Christ. How? By knowing him better. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There is a very real possibility that could, someone could present you a very convincing case that you need more than Jesus to be encouraged, that you need more than Christ to be fully mature, that you need something else in addition to this. And Paul's saying, no, don't, don't listen to that. You, you can find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. It's all there. You're not missing anything else by, going any, by, by staying in Christ. You can't, get, you can't get wisdom and knowledge, true wisdom and knowledge, true encouragement anywhere else. You find it in Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't let anyone delude you. Don't let anyone derail you. Don't let anyone deceive you. In Christ, 
are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this true encouragement comes from knowing Jesus in a way that's unified with other believers, in a way that's full and firm. Now, this precedes the next two verses, obviously, which, as I said early in the service, are the crux of Paul's appeal in the book of Colossians. And that is, just as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so we would walk in him. And that's why those, that verse is printed on the banners in the, in the foyer and in the hallway out here to remind you of what this is all about and what we are supposed to be doing to continue this walk in Christ. Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 